Chapter Two of The Prayers of Saint Paul by W. H. Griffith Thomas. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. Chapter Two Consecration and Preservation. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. First Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 23 to 24 As we consider these prayers of the Apostle, we become increasingly aware of what he felt to be the most important elements in the Christian life. The prayers all have reference to Christian living, and whether we think of the character of the life portrayed, or the standard held up in them, we can readily see their intense practical value for daily living. We may be pretty sure that those things for which he prayed on behalf of his converts were the things he regarded as most essential in Christian character and conduct. The prayer that now calls for consideration is that found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23-24. to 24. 1. The Petition He prays for their sanctification. Sanctify you wholly. As already noted, the root idea of sanctification and of its cognate expressions, holiness, holy, and the like, is separation. We see this very clearly in connection with buildings or other things which are said to be holy or sanctified. It is obvious that no thought of purification is applicable to buildings and inanimate objects. We must, therefore, understand sanctification in this case as equivalent to consecration. This is also the root meaning of the word sanctify in relation to persons, and it may be questioned whether the word, as used in the original, ever really includes in it the idea of purification. The latter thought has another set of words altogether. The apostle therefore prays that they may be consecrated, set apart from all else, for the possession and service of God. This meaning may be aptly illustrated from our Lord's words about himself. For their sakes I consecrate myself, so that they also may be consecrated through the truth. John chapter 17, verse 19. The extent of this consecration is very noteworthy. Sanctify you wholly, spelled W-H-O-L-L-Y. The word rendered holy is used in connection with the Old Testament sacrifices in the Septuagint, and implies the entire and complete separation of the offering for the purpose intended. The Christian life must be wholly, entirely, and unreservedly consecrated to God, no part being reserved or held back, but everything handed over and regarded as permanently and completely belonging to Him. He prays for their preservation, preserved blameless, the consecration is to be maintained in continual preservation, in and for God. The consecration as an act is to be deepened into that attitude, so that, day by day and hour by hour, the separated life may be maintained and preserved in readiness for every call that God may make. The extent of this preservation is also observable. Your whole spirit and soul and body 
the spirit is that inmost part of our life which is related to god the soul is the inner life regarded in itself as the seat and sphere of intellect heart and will the body is the outward vehicle and expression of the soul and spirit through which we are enabled to serve god the order of these three should be observed it is not as we often say and sing in certain hymns body soul and spirit but the very reverse spirit soul and body the apostle starts from within and works outward thereby reminding us that if the spirit or deepest part of our nature is wholly surrendered to god this fact will express itself in every part of our nature and we shall be consecrated wholly what a searching requirement this is and what a solemnity and responsibility it gives to life whether in relation to god or in relation to man whether for worship or work character or conduct prayer or practice we are to be wholly consecrated and continually kept for the master's use that all my powers with all their might in thy soul glory may unite two the prerequisite the god of peace himself the divine title associated with this prayer as its definite presupposition and prerequisite is very significant as indeed is every title of god there is always some special point of direct connection between the way in which god is addressed and the prayer that follows in the present instance the prayer for consecration and preservation is addressed to the god of peace himself the apostle lays special stress upon the fact that it is god himself who consecrates and keeps us as with salvation so with consecration it is and must be divine the work is entirely beyond any mere human power and while there is a truth in our frequent reference to consecration as something that we ourselves have to effect it is far more scriptural and therefore much more helpful to endeavor to limit the idea of consecration to the divine side and to think of it as an act of god to which the corresponding human act and attitude is that of dedication it is god himself who separates us marks us off as his own and designates us for his use and service it is god himself and no one else for we are here brought into personal and blessed association with the divine power and grace further god is described as the god of peace and we naturally ask what it means and why peace is thus associated with consecration and preservation this title the god of peace is found very frequently in the writings of st paul and it deserves careful consideration in each passage there is a twofold peace in scripture sometimes described as peace with god romans chapter 5 verse 1 at others as the peace of god philippians chapter 4 verse 7 they both have their source in the god of peace philippians chapter 4 verse 9 peace is the result of reconciliation with god our lord made peace by the blood of his cross colossians chapter 1 verse 20 and the acceptance of his atoning sacrifice through faith brings peace to the soul this consciousness of reconciliation in turn causes a blessed sense of restfulness and peace to spring up in the heart and thus we have the peace of god within us 
that connection between peace and holiness is close and essential it is impossible for anyone to understand consecration until they have experienced reconciliation holiness must be based on righteousness and righteousness is only possible to those who have accepted the lord jesus as god's righteousness through faith so long as there is any enmity in the heart or even any uncertainty as to our acceptance in christ jesus holiness is an impossibility may not the forgetfulness of this fact be the cause of surprise and disappointment at christian conventions from time to time may it not be that many go to such gatherings longing to be made holy who have not settled this question of their standing before god and their peace as the result of acceptance of christ's atonement to understand and experience what holiness means before enjoying peace with god is like trying to take a second step before attempting the first only through peace can holiness come and only as we have blessed personal experience of god as the god of peace can a prayer like this be answered three the prospect unto the coming of our lord jesus christ once again the apostle prays with special reference to that glorious day to which he was always looking and pointing his readers as he looks forward to that day he uses again a favorite word blameless and suggests to us the great and wonderful possibility of being so consecrated and preserved that we may lead a blameless life day by day until the coming of our lord holiness is thus associated once again with the great future the apostle finds in the coming of the lord one of the most potent reasons why christians should be consecrated and preserved this close and intimate connection between holiness and what we term the second advent needs much stronger emphasis in daily living and in church teaching than it often has in the present day there is in its way nothing more powerful as a reason for holiness than the thought of the certainty and imminence of the lord's coming four the promise faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it lest we should be tempted to think that so wonderful a prayer could not be fulfilled in daily experience the apostle adds this blessed assurance that god who puts this ideal before us will enable us to realize it the promise is undoubted who also will do it what he has promised he is also able to perform if only our hearts are right with him and are willing to say yea let him take all god will indeed consecrate and preserve us blameless unto the end the guarantee of this lies in his divine faithfulness faithful is he that calleth you we are touching the bedrock of divine revelation when we contemplate the faithfulness of god this phrase is often found in the new testament god is faithful the lord is faithful faithful is he this is a faithful saying if our hearts will only rest upon this we shall find in it not only the most exquisite joy and assured peace but also the ground of our perfect confidence that he will accomplish his purposes in us and glorify himself in our lives it is well and necessary from time to time to look at holiness from the human point of view and to see our duty and responsibility but it is equally essential and important that we should also dwell upon holiness as in the passage before us from the divine standpoint and keep well in view the glorious realities of god's faithfulness 
God's power, God's grace. To be occupied unduly with self in the matter of holiness is to become self-centered, morbid, fearful, and weak. To be occupied with God is to be restful, quiet, strong, confident, and ever-growing in grace. End of chapter 2